hello hello if you're joining please like and subscribe i am very very excited to be joined by jim and by the way i should apologize firstly i don't wear caps on camera i'm not having a midlife crisis My no, problem. no problem no problem i mean it's, it's actually a sign of a midlife crisis then i'm i'm done for because we've got this we've got oh this yeah. is a new one it's a little extra. It's a little. I don't extra. think so. I think you've toned it down. If anything, Jim, I think you are looking pretty on point. I would say. I mean, you could have just stopped it at pretty, but <laughs> very much. Firstly, how the hell have you been during what I can only describe as this? Uh, this, yeah, it's been this. It's been tough. Um, you know, luckily. Luckily, the main business, the whole YouTube and everything, um, the Patreon that supports the business, that's been fairly corona-proof. We've been, we've done okay there, thank God, um, because you know YouTube as a medium has not made it um, any easy for many creators. So that was good. Um, not being able to do the pro wrestling side of of what I do, that was that's been hard. Um, you know, I managed. To, two shows last year some things are opening up now so that's good but that was difficult um but otherwise you know i'm in a weird position where there's a lot of hassle and a lot of fires to put out but person like on a personal level i'm doing really well so you know it's swings and roundabouts i suppose so what lgbtq people we always do is plus sorry always remember the plus is Whenever we, we always talk about often when we meet for the first time about how we came out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to go down that route. That's what we're going to do. So you're one of the most high profile non-binary people on YouTube. So tell me about. Don't say it. Just don't, if you don't say it, then I don't have to have it play on my mind. Oh, good point. No pressure. Oh, no, I'm just yeah, seeing okay. the facts though. That That is a fact. Mm. So tell me about your, tell me about that, that road to coming out. And there will be some people, by the way, who don't, watching this, who don't fully understand what does non-binary mean? So yeah. I know it's a bit eye roll for, you know, going back to the basics, but just tell me about yeah. both those things. Well, I mean, as bloody hell, as old as I am, there are, there are basics that I don't know. Um, like there's still a lot, like that I'm still learning about myself and everything else. But uh, I mean, simply put, it's it's not being on the gender binary, um, not being either or man or woman in a, you know, this one, two, black or white sense. Um, and that can mean different things for different people. Uh, for me, uh, it is something of a rejection of, of a lot of the masculine elements to myself and also feeling like there were already a lot of uh, feminine physical elements that were already there that I am now in the process of enhancing. Um, so even though I don't um, consider myself uh, transitioning to becoming a binary cis, uh, a binary woman. Um, so yeah, for me, it's not about transitioning to becoming a binary woman um i do not consider that i, I consider myself trans feminine uh, and non-binary and on a personal note gender trash 
Um, and that's where I am. It's, it's, it's very much a personal thing. It's why I hesitate when I explain things because I can only really talk about my experiences and I try not to speak for anyone else. So it can mean different things for different people, but at its most simple, it's, um, you know, it's not a binary gender. How did you find it when you came out, the response? And what what have you learned that, I don't know, for a non-binary person who's out or, or not out and thinking about it, what what would you tell them for what you've learned? Um, so it's been weird. It's been weird, um, especially having been online and having an online media career for so long to, um, I guess, for, from some people's perspective, to have this sprung on them uh, is, <laughs> you know, there's been adjusting. People have been, um, the people who, who didn't immediately unsubscribe um, have been doing really well with, with learning and, and everything and seeing that I haven't changed, changed. Like I'm still me. I'm just happier and more me. Um, so that's been interesting. It was very scary doing it publicly uh, in, in such a big sense, even though I didn't play it up. I just did it one week because I just couldn't go back anymore. Um, and that was, as far as my coming out um, goes, I kind of led a bit towards it. My plan was to go a lot slower than I have. Um, I mean, my initial plan was to explore it more in the wrestling side where there's a lot of a lot of open expression in character so you can explore certain things. But obviously that didn't happen because I wasn't doing any wrestling events. Um, and then just the more I played with things, the more I explored things, um, I found it like a, a, a the trans snowball, I call it, where it's just the more right it feels, the more obviously you want to go after it because because it feels right, because finally you you are you. So once you open that door, it's hard not to just throw yourself in full tilt. Um, but there was this period of, of um, finding myself and that was expressed through the show that I do. That was expressed through the Jimquisition, um, various references, um, basically leading up to it. That wasn't, again, that wasn't planned. Uh, the actual coming out was a surprise even to me um, because I just did it one morning while filming. But for the first, the first little hints was when, and I say little hints, it was pretty clear. I was making little references to not really identifying as male in the truest sense. And then when cyberpunk had come out and was getting involved in some controversies and I was covering those, uh, I made a reference to um, how I was taking HRT instead of uh, playing cyberpunk, uh, which is more punk. You know, I was um, making a very important point about punkness. Uh, you know, it's Punky Brewster, HRT, and then Cyberpunk's like really down like the bottom somewhere after like actual cyberpunk and punk music and steampunk and punk, punk. <laughs> so yeah, those were the little hints. And then I started expressing myself more in my apartment building and it went great. The first time a uh, man who didn't know me saw me offered to help me with my shopping, which was, that's never happened before. 
And that was followed by another man offering to help me with boxes, which that's never happened before. Neither has the cry of, whoa, when I could pick them up. Um, and what, what's funny is, is I'm stronger now than I was because for some reason, the more femme I've gotten, the more I've gotten into cooking steaks and, and lifting weights. So I've got a clear idea of, of, of how I'm going to look, which is why it's been easier to go after it than it has in the past. Um, it's quite something. <laughs> um, what Sorry. What, what do you think about the fact there was recently a poll, polls on both sides of the Atlantic, but in the US, and it found, so of the different generations, so we've got your boomers, you've got your Gen X, you've got millennials, and you've got Zoomers, and I'm an older millennial, so I get... Oh, I'm the same. Early run millennial. Can't quite understand Twitch, but... Yeah, exactly. That's... I mean, I don't really understand Twitch at all. Mm -hmm. But you see all the... The full URL. (laughs) www.and... Yeah. That's me. When I see Zoomer chat about millennials, I get quite distressed. Like, ridiculing... Oh, I've started going through a complete midlife crisis. Like, it's, it's Boglins and Slimers and... Like, I guess the generation before me would get flash cars and, and get young girlfriends. And I mean, you know, not a young girlfriend, but we're going steady. Yeah, steady-ish. Yeah, it's That's been what a we're going on. Time, you know, we get what, what I can. What this poll showed is quite interesting. It showed that of the Zoomers, the youngest people, 54.6%, Sorry, less, only half of young people say they're exclusively attracted uh, to the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. But equally, it showed that about 11.3% identified uh, as trans, the, the youngest people. But they didn't say kind of, they didn't go into uh, non-binary and so on. What do you think that says that more and more people, the younger people get the more and more people feel open to say they're LGBTQ and, of course, trans to put themselves, you know, to or, and, and that does include people who are non-binary, even though it's not listed. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's twofold, I think. Um, the first is safety in numbers, simple as. You feel safer coming out if you see people like you, uh, especially if you're originally from a community or still in a community or family situation where um, it is not seen as acceptable to be trans. It is something to be punished or, or, you know, um, forced out of someone. Uh, So to see other people um, coming together and sharing their experiences and finding out that so much of, of those experiences are relatable that you're not alone um, because that feeling that you are uniquely broken, that you are uniquely inadequate, that you are uniquely unable to fill the gender role that was given to you, that you were told you had to live up to. Um, it is terrifying. It is isolating um, to say nothing of our exterior efforts trying to isolate people um, or indeed these aforementioned communities. So there's, I think that's a crucial element is, is the safety. Um, the other element, and this is certainly something I've been seeing since coming out visibly and um, my audience seeing that, 
is, well, I said visibly, visibility matters. Um, visibility is vital. There is a reason why um, certain parties do not want uh, LGBTQ plus issues um, taught in school. They don't want it referenced uh, because visibility kills people's ability to question themselves, find themselves, find people like them. It's burial and erasure um, specifically, well, for the reasons that my generation were so successfully, well, I guess successfully from their perspective, unable to find ourselves, unable to break out of these roles that had been decided upon for us and for, you know, the world at large. Um, visibility is one of the most crucial things since coming out as, as visibly trans femme. I have had many, many viewers say they started to um, question themselves, explore themselves, um, or seeing me up there doing it in front of people gave them the courage to do it again, that sense of safety, that sense of seeing someone like themselves, someone they can relate to uh, in some way. Um, I, I often bring up when I talk about this uh, growing up in the UK, um, which is where I originally was from. I have not been back in a long time because the fat phobia, the, the fat phobia was violent enough to say nothing of um, a lot of the, the scary uh, turfism that I see emanating from the place. Um, but growing up in the UK, uh, as I, like you, early millennial, born in the 80s, the closest to gay representation I would ever see on TV would be Lieutenant Gruber from Alo Alo, who was himself a, a uh, very problematic gay character. And yet, um, for a one-note gay joke on-screen Nazi officer, he was one of the only closely relatable characters on television. <laughs> Um, and had been there all my life because Hello, Hello had not long started. Christ, I'm old. Uh, it had not long started. So <laughs> so that was for a long time. That was all I knew and, and for some reason found some affinity with the character. Not the Nazism. I can't stress that enough. Not the Nazism. I like that. Urgent clarification. Yeah. There is no sympathy yeah. going on with the Nazi fanaticism. FYI. Important it's, to get that out there. The campness. It was that was a big thing. Was and that was how I found safer ways to express myself. Was the the camp uh, and that and and playing things for laughs and doing stuff like that, or playing with it as a as a heel in the wrestling because so many um, villains are, are presented as some form of queer uh, in some way or another. Um, which I think is why a lot of a lot of LGBTQ plus people my age are now like horny for demons and things. Uh, I think it's it's just a function of of how we were brought up. Um, but yeah, like I didn't get to see um, people like myself. People will tell you that um, like non-binary as an identity is new. It was invented by Tumblr. Um, but no, I mean there are examples throughout history of, of people um, being gender fluid or, or outside of the binary in some way, shape or form. 
Um, but with so few examples, with so little community allowed to build, the language wasn't there. The, this is why it looks so trendy to people, um, because trans people are trying to rebuild a culture that was destroyed systematically uh, across the world through history. So little of it is actually new. It's rediscovered. Uh, and, and, and that's, again, why seeing yourself is so important, why seeing people like you is so crucial, why, why I was so screwed and why so many other people of my generation were so screwed by the fact that in the UK, in the 90s, growing up, television had only just started to accept that bisexual people existed. And even then, half the time disparaged that existence, said it wasn't real, said that wasn't a real identity. Um, the old jokes as well, there's no such thing as bisexual, it's just greed, all of that stuff. Um, which, what, what can you do then? You've been told what your gender is, one of the two. You have then seen nothing but villains and jokes who are the closest to who you feel you could be. And then you start growing up and trying to settle into the role of man and or, or woman. And if it's not you, you will be made to feel not just by yourself, but by others, inadequate, broken, defective, um, just this unsalvageable um, failure of, of, of someone who can't live up to, to mm. what they were told to live up to and, and when you finally see other people. And, and even, even when it comes to seeing more non-binary people, it wasn't until I saw more trans non-binary people, um, such as uh, Vema Sophie, who is Curio on YouTube, um, because uh, a lot of uh, non-binary people I was aware of or knew were very mask presenting or there was the, you know, um, more of an androgynous element. Um, lots of different presentations, but for a while I didn't see something that made sense to me. And then as I saw more examples of, of what felt right, it just felt right. It, it just, it was how, like how if you would ask a, a, you know, someone says, how do you know you're cis? A common response would be, well, I don't know, because I am. And, and I found my because I am. And, and that was very important. And I had to wait a very, very, very long time to find it. And if the culture I grew up in had its way, I never would have at all and would have not lasted longer. I would be perfectly blunt about that. Not lasted longer. I was waiting to die. I mean, that's one of the things I want to talk about. I mean, before I do, by the way, I need to urgently correct myself. Just disseminating just false propaganda on YouTube. So I should probably correct myself. 11.3%, sorry, 11.7% of American LGBTQ people identify as trans. And uh, amongst Generation Z, it's 1.8%, which is nine times higher than baby boomers, uh, as is the number of lesbians, 1.4% uh, compared to 0.4% boomers. 
gay, 2.1% compared to 1.2% baby boomers, bisexual, 11.5% compared to 0.3% of baby boomers. Just everyone's aware, Generation Z is people born basically after 1997, boomers between 46 and 64. Uh, So... Also, though, others, uh, only half, as I've said, of Zoomers say they are exclusively heterosexual. So I just want to just get that absolutely right before people Google and go, what the hell are you talking about? Just coming onto YouTube and go, blah, 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 with false information. So, or or on the podcast, because this is also on the podcast. Hello to the podcast. What I'm going to talk about there, what you just said is really, 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 really important and very important for people who are not LGBTQ people to understand, people who are cis, who are straight which is the damage inflicted upon LGBTQ people by a society which refuses to accept LGBTQ people for who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's particularly acute, of course, for trans people. And, and we know that uh, suicidal ideation, mental distress is much higher amongst LGBTQ people, particularly amongst trans people. We know that self harmful self-medication like uh, alcohol and drug abuse, which comes from mental distress, which is much higher amongst LGBTQ people, you know, and all of us have personal lived experiences, either our own experiences or people around us who have been so, you know, it's, it's like a, a ticking time bomb is often inserted into people by society or by their parents. Parents know best. No, they don't. Not always. There's lots of LGBT people can testify. Just tell, talk a bit about that, that harm that is done from yeah. your own experience and also maybe from the wider experiences you see of LGBTQ people by that refusal, that ingrained, which is there from centuries of patriarchy and heteronormative assumptions and, uh, you know, which are so dominant and people have struggled against, but they're still very strong. What, what impact does that have? And on, on you as well. No other, no other term will do for me. It's a cultural genocide. We're seeing this in the UK now, trying to legislate trans people, especially trans youth, out of existence, um, just to try and stop us from happening, just to try and stop us from existing and being seen and being seen by others. And you give me those numbers um, about the generational increase in um, those who identify as as trans or or non-exclusively heterosexual, and that doesn't tell me we've we've got more queer people. It doesn't tell me we've got more people um, who are LGBTQ+. It tells me we lost many. It tells me we lost so many before now, either due to the the issues you've mentioned, the, the, the stuff that actually ends a life, or people who have buried it and gone through their life just, if it's anything like me, a shell, a, sh- a shell that isn't, doesn't feel real, uh, and doesn't, doesn't feel quite connected to the outside world and doesn't feel alive. And as I said, waiting to die from my perspective, um, there is a way I've always wanted to look. There is a way I've always wanted to be. There is, at times I, I didn't acknowledge it or decided it wasn't for me that I didn't get to have uh, certain things and um, uh, left it at that. Um, one thing I noticed after coming out was my relationship with eating changed my, uh, as I said, my, my, uh, lifting of weights, my, my going for the things, everything I said I couldn't have, not just transitioning, but everything I said I couldn't have. And I found things out such as 
I, I uh, had to take a test for some to work out what some chemicals were doing inside of me um, and found out that my body, for example, responds um, above averagely to exercise. Um, but I wasn't motivated to do it because I did not expect to live um, particularly long and didn't care to and was, in fact, waiting for it. Um, and, and instead, since since coming out, since finding myself, since being more me, I, my, my unhealthy coping mechanisms pretty much just, just went, just gone. My desire to uh, live has manifested in my becoming half the size I was and counting, um, lifting every, well, not every day, you take breaks, so your arms will fall off, but as much as is safe right now and, and increasing and my ambitions, um, certain things I, I wouldn't go for before um, have, have, well, they've been manifesting. The stuff, stuff's been happening that I never thought was possible and now everything does. And I spent up until now my entire life trying to be someone else because that's what I was led to believe was the only route, was the only option. I was, sh as a child, I was shamed for physical traits I have that were not, um, you know, masculine enough. Uh, they used to call me hipster at school because I've got some widens, um, which of course now I'm quite proud of, but back then, it was stuff I wanted to be proud of, um, weight distribution, um, my voice, um, which has deepened over time, but for a long time had not. Um, it took a long time for, um, it took a long time before I ever needed to shave like more than average and all of this stuff I was mocked for. Um, when really like now I'm like, Again, talking about the physical advantages I had that were ignored um, and, and weren't capitalized on, I had a bloody head start on this transition, Mark. Like, I, I was, I'm, I'm already, like, close to where I want to be. And, and the fact that it, I was a perspective shift away this whole time is, yeah. it's, it's, I mourn that. I, I am excited about the future and I'm excited to to move forward and, and the changes. And and one thing I do want to, I always want to point this out is um, um, weight for people means different things. Um, there are those who, you know, fat pride is something I believe very strongly in. Fat phobia, absolutely. Not just for personal reasons, obvious personal bias, just the, it makes me, it's grotesque. Um, and, 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 you know, that, so fat pride is something I, I believe in and there are people for whom it's a choice, but there are people for whom it, it was, it's a symptom of something else. And that's what it was for me because I wasn't proud of it. I was not happy. Um, there were things I wanted to do that I couldn't, uh, and increasingly now can. And I, as I say, I'm getting closer and closer to where I want to be and it's exciting. Um, and that's only my personal journey. That's what that, that's what that represents to me. And, and more than that, it's being able to go outside and not feeling like I have to apologize for myself. A lot of the dysmorphia about the weight itself going away, um, looking at myself as, as realistically 
you know, what I am rather than this, you know, un, unviewable, un, untenable monster that I um, saw everyone else looking at. Um, and one of the, this was the, the night before I filmed myself visibly coming out, I went out fully presenting with um, some friends and it was the first time and it was also the first time I'd ever been outside not f trying to hide, not feeling like I, I can express myself in any way. Um, I'd go out, black t-shirt and black slacks and leave it at that. Look amorphous, try not to be seen. Now, I mean, I'm wearing all sorts of garish nonsense. Um, really sort of honing my trash girl aesthetic and having a sense of style. And, you know, I've been told the way I hold myself in a photo is different. The, the way I, um, just everything about me. A lot of people say I have a glow to my skin now and credit the estrogen, but nah, nah, that's always been all me. So let's not, let's not credit anything to the awesome skin, but everything, <laughs> everything else is just so much slotted into place and, and all the pieces were there and, and that's when I get, that's when I think of the, the damage and just the life not lived. Um, and, and when I think about others in that situation, it, it, it tears me up. Mm. So again, like now that I have come out visibly and, and I have the, I have the visibility that I have, I, I think it's, probably the most important thing I've done with my job that I have given other people a chance to see themselves or someone similar. And, and a lot of people have, have told me that, that they've changed. Um, and for the better as a result, as a result of that, and having a part to play in their own journey like that is a privilege, an absolute privilege. Absolutely. And I have to say, when I said I was interviewing you on Patreon, people were pretty excited. So just for example, just a couple of questions from Patreon. So Juliet says, I'd like you to ask them about their experience of transitioning in the US and how different accessing trans healthcare is compared to their trans friends in the UK. And David Barretta says this is personal for them. Um, bipolar and being a big figure in one of the most toxic and abusive communities online, how do they cope with it all? I personally am also bipolar and I'm I'm like made of glass most of the time. I just think you, Jim, uh, are remarkably strong. So what do you say to, what about both of those? Um, first of all, th th um, thank you um, to both. And I'm glad people were, were you know, interested in, in you know, little old me. Um, but yeah, to the, the first question, transitioning um, as, as opposed, here as opposed to the UK. Uh, again, I can't, I can't speak for anyone's experiences who are actually in the UK. Um, I have a lot of UK trans friends and have seen the struggles they have, the humiliating difficulty they have just to assert who they are. Um, I spent 12 years in Mississippi. And again, no representation whatsoever um, of any kind. Uh, it, it's a very Stepford place down there. Like, they've kind of already won. So everyone's kind of really nice, mm -hmm. but there's an air of just don't rock the boat now. Um, so that was its own level of, of creepy oppression. And then I moved here. Um, well, during the pandemic, I moved to Philly, so I haven't got to see much of the place yet. I've been here a, 
over a year now. Um, looks nice. I mean, the skyline now looks like a cardboard cutout, but <laughs> like it, it would have been a good place to live. Um, but, I mean, I, I almost burst into tears the first day I came here. I first Mississippi wouldn't let me leave. I was stuck there 24 hours um, trying to get my last flight out, then had a, a wrestling booking, so I had to go to Pittsburgh first and then bus it to Philly. But the first day I got to Philly, me and my friend Conrad, were he was showing me around town, showing me the, the shop where he sells his buttons uh, and everything, uh, pinfiltruth.com. Uh-huh. Um, and in there was a lot of, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus stuff. Uh, and then I, I see... Um, the variety of people holding hands and and expressing themselves as couples who are not you know cis hetero couples and i almost lost my you know everything there then and there because it had become such an alien idea that it could happen anywhere but television um the fact that there there was a place where people could just be them and it was fine i it was it was almost too much to handle having spent all that time in the UK, then all that time in Mississippi, um, especially in, in situations where I was trying to be the wrong person, um, trying to live up to the wrong ideals. Um, it was huge. It was, it was indescribable. Um, and then of course the, the differences in just the, the amount of paperwork and humiliation and having to justify yourself to, um, cis people, um over and over again to express who you are in the uk versus um certain states in the us uh, pennsylvania where i am being one of them where when i applied for my id card i didn't even know when i applied for the id card i got the form was filling it out and was like had the gender and, and there it was non-binary and i was like holy crap conrad did you see this and he's like oh yeah uh, so I'm like, well, crap, all you have to do is just sort of basically swear that you are, you know, like mm-hmm. you take it seriously, like signing to that effect. And that's it. Like, you've just got to be like, you know, I'm not taking the piss here. And here I am swearing to it. Um, and then I have an X on my card and, you know, US culture is still such that I'd be afraid to have a cop look at it <laughs> but uh having it is is it was it was important and and there is just such a gulf of a difference between here and what i know about the uk right now and mississippi um in different ways um as for the the second question uh yeah yeah um being bipolar um basically i i knew i had some form of depression and when I first mentioned that, as far as doing it in front of the hardcore gamers trademark, um, and there were those quick to blame m- some of my review scores on that. Oh, I wonder if they gave this a six out of 10 because they were depressed. Um, but I mean, I've had people now present me since, since, being open about my diagnoses they've tried to present me as as on a mental decline but for that sector of the internet it's not unusual i mean that's one thing about the abuse i've gotten none of it's new uh, the moment they caught a whiff that i might be coming out soon they started with the you'll never be a woman and i'm like you know 
um, <laughs> because it's copy pasted. And that's one thing that, that, again, the visibility helps because you can tell other people that shit they're telling you, like, it's, it's quote, it's personal, but it's not personal. Mm-hmm. They're just lashing out at anyone. And what they're saying about you is not true because they're yelling it at anyone who they think will listen. So don't, it's hard not to take it to heart, but mm-hmm. remembering that means even though there might be a sting now and then I can move on. And it's the same with the mental health stuff, the, you know, mental decline. And of course, claiming that the transition is part of that when actually it was a result of finally having my own sort of environment where I could be safe and happy. So, you know, then they've gotten so much of it wrong because they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, and again, same goes with, with the diagnoses. I, last year, I, this was another problem I had with just being told that it was a problem with me, who I am as a person, not an illness, not um, something physical, you know, brain chemicals and whatnot, or, or trauma. And that that's, what I found out I had and couldn't believe I managed to hold down a career. Um, you know, the bipolar and the CPTSD and the ADHD, which blimey, that's a thing. Um, yeah, there are people that want to use that against me, but it's the exact same thing. I, I, we we were just talking about with visibility. Hmm. Visibility is vital. It, allows people to see that they're not defective, that they're not broken, that they're not abnormal, that their experiences while theirs can be relatable to others. And Mm. there are others who are, you know, you can relate to in turn. Um, One thing I say is no one is a unique special flower. And usually that's said to insult someone, you know, the whole liberal snowflake thing. But when I say no one's a snowflake, what I mean is like, no one's alone. No one is so uniquely them that struggles they have can't be understood by someone or they can't understand their own struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that again is, is why people being open about their issues, even in the face of, of if they can do it safely, of course, that's something I, I would always encourage someone to be visibly them especially if it's stigmatized, but only if it's safe for them to do so, only if they feel secure, which again is a function of what I was talking about. It all it all comes down to representation and, and visibility and safety. Get a couple sorry, this is Rickman who's just trying to yowl at you. Do you want to say hello? Do you say hello to Jim? You can say hello. 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 You're just gonna oh I don't know what you're doing there. So, um, a couple of other questions. Mm-hmm. This, okay, I'm going to be honest with you, Jim. Do I game? No. I don't really understand gaming. I used to play Civilization 3 a lot. Yeah. Uh, but about 16 years ago, I lived with a gamer. Oh, they game all right. They're gaming right now. So, I'm, I'm familiar with gaming. What uh, Ollie Skillman Wilson, who does know about gaming, like me, who just looks like, a, at the moment, a... Pound Shop, Macaulay Culkin, and Home Alone. Do game makers have a responsibility to create experiences that encourage positive player behavior? This is actually a really good question. Or challenge toxic narratives given the history of abuse and exploitation in the game community? And further, if that question is not enough, could games be a good space for activism? Shoot, go for it. I have no idea what's going on. Well, I do. I mean, they're good questions. Latter, the latter question, sure. 
every every space can be good for that make it make it a space for that um if they won't let you you know be loud uh, so yeah yeah like gaming can be a space for activism both in games and within the community as for a responsibility um i would say this i would say game companies have a responsibility not just to not just because it's the right thing to do and because that visibility again is vital a game like Iconfell, which came out last year i think yeah last year mm-hmm. it's such an important game one that does not get the publicity it should um, because the sheer variety of um queer representation in that game is it's unlike anything a mainstream game would dare to do like they will throw they'll throw in a character and then make a big pr deal out of it mm-hmm. um but i can fell is is just 100 um earnest and sincere and comprehensive almost um in in well I, I won't go that far but but um diverse in its representation um that's one element just you know it would be nice um yes a representation uh, is something they should be responsible for given the toxicity of the gamer community not just because well as industry leaders they should also be community leaders but these publishers encouraged it these publishers encourage it with by geeing people up with hype and and telling people that political elements they're exploiting in their games are not political and taking part in the the burial and erasure and, and non-representation for decades and decades and i'll throw in another one um they don't only have a responsibility to uh, represent um because of abuse in the gamer community they have a responsibility because of the abuse in the game industry uh, these companies um especially uh, uh, a game publisher like ubisoft which spent decades covering up for abusers of every single kind mm-hmm. and has gotten away with it and continues to do business and and they are they're only one story it's it's all over that industry and as as far as representation goes they make token efforts for self-serving reasons almost all of the time i will i will leave room for exception but so much of it is pure hypocrisy and and yes they absolutely have a responsibility especially if they're going to dabble they have a responsibility to not dabble and to pay people who have lived the experiences they're trying to emulate um and then they would screw it up less that would be good wouldn't it that would be quite handy wouldn't it yeah it'd be useful just you know throw that in there as well as gaming wrestling we're diving up you have many well, you literally do have many hats but i, I mean figurat- i mean figuratively in this particular yeah. for those That's who are listening well on the podcast well, so, let's so let me out let's have a look for those who are listening on the podcast and can't see you well you're missing out so you should probably watch the video but Jim has a superb way. Let's have a look at this. Oh, hello. It's a Rise hat. What is, oh, what is this? Oh, this is a very, this is a Rise title belt. I'm sorry, this is a Rise title. This is a this big is... wrestling Rise title thing. Yeah, this is the Grand Championship of Rise. It's a company I um, general manage over in Pittsburgh. Um, 
as Commander Sterling. And for the duration of the pandemic, I thought it was only fair to strip the current champion, Tony Johnson, of the title and install myself as champion regent. Which, I think that's pretty reasonable. Oh, yeah. History, given what's going on. by the way, the first <laughs> ever non-binary tra- champion regent. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Um, and no one's yeah. taking that away from you. No, some people say I stole the belt, but I say I platformed <laughs> it. Visibility matters. It's what I said. Um, but, but, but with that, I mean, I yeah. would think of wrestling as someone who's, again, similarly to gaming, maybe a bit on the ignorant side. I would think of it as very hyper-masculine, very, like, unreconstructed. So tell me as a non-binary person, I mean, am I wrong? But as a non-binary person, tell me tell me your experiences. And I'm, by the way, my cat is a very, very naughty cat. Listen to that. How oh, I can hear it. It's, it sounds tragic. He's, he's, having all, he's having all sorts. He's very into wrestling. That's He actually well, is into wrestling, you by know. the way. So tell me about that. Tell me about yeah. wrestling, gender, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I've gotten to perform um, both North and South. So I can tell you there are certainly different atmospheres. Um, now, I don't, that is not to say no one in the South wasn't shockingly supportive. Um, I appeared predominantly at Pro Wrestling Ego in Mississippi and Pro South Wrestling in Alabama. And those places I worked with treated me well. And even though I don't work with them anymore, they continue to support me, um, which has been great. Um, but as far as, as the locker room goes, yeah, very manly, very masculine. Um, very few women wrestlers, um, which, I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little more on intergender wrestling, but that was one paradoxically progressive thing in the South was they couldn't find enough women wrestlers, even though, again, mm-hmm. more visibility they probably would have. Um, so they were... St- stuck because they couldn't have the same two women wrestle over and over so they would wrestle with the men um and up here in the north we do have intergender wrestling again but that's because that's what modern indie wrestling here does Uh, it's not done on mainstream tv it's not done in wwe or AEW yet and they all you know have little gimmicky ones at times but but not not full into gender wrestling. They will still have the divisions. They'll have, well, it won't be the men's championship. They'll have the world championship and then the women's championship. Um, And whereas at Rise, this is the title. We've got our tag titles. I stripped the tag team of that as well. And and this is the grand championship. Uh, And anyone there can challenge it, you know, when when I decide. So that's the Um, and, you know, that answers a thorny question that any non-binary person would have if they went to WWE or AEW. What will they do with me? Where will they put me? What will they do? Um, because I know I certainly would not want to go into either division. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do? Well, it's not a problem certainly not a problem at the promotions I've worked with. And within wrestling, there's arguments about intergender wrestling, whether it's believable or not, which my argument is The Undertaker. The Undertaker, for decades, a zombie cowboy, literal Undertaker as a wrestler, and no one questioned it. So (laughs) 
do the impossible in wrestling. It's 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 what it is. And and intergender wrestling has never looked strange to me because it's wrestlers wrestling, um, and it's always different and unique and and everything. So I I love that here. And one thing I absolutely adore about moving here to the northeast of America. Um, is here in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and, and surrounding areas. The LGBTQ plus wrestling community here is big. Last year, one of the two gigs I got to do was MV uh, Young. He's a, a wrestler. He's, um, his whole thing is being pansexual and the head of a, an entire polyam cult. He's got 15,000 romantic partners. That's his whole thing. Um, it must be pretty knackered. Oh, I mean, it's exhausting. Um, I mean, I, or rather Commander Sterling is a, a card-carrying member of the Polyam cult. So, you know, one of the, oh, this thing's getting in there. i tell you what, right? If you, if anyone is watching and thinking of transitioning, try a short one. Um, <laughs> um, oh, where was I? I lost the thread. Yes. So the, one of the gigs I got to do last year was um, the Polyam cult party. Uh, which was a wrestling event headed up by MV Young, and it had this backyard wrestle feel. And the backyard used all the fence posts were pink, yellow, blue, pink, yellow, blue, like fully done up. It looked incredible. Um, I'll be wearing my Pan Pride mask there. I've got various star shaped masks, and I had one made in pan colors. And I'm, I'm looking forward to flying that flag there myself. Uh, and you know, we've we've just got amazing amazing lgbtq plus wrestlers here uh edith surreal uh, who was a huge inspiration to me not just in wrestling but in gender expression uh, molly mccoy um effie uh, who also hosts a show called effie's big gay brunch uh, like it's just so open here and and, and accepting um mm. that it's been it's been a trip i'm very much i'm still new here i'm very much looking forward to getting more involved and becoming part of that. I used to think about maybe going to like AEW, you know, on the teddy, that'd be nice. But now that I've seen the stuff here, like this is what I want. This is what I want to do. I want to be part of, of what people like MV Young are doing and what um, people like Effie have, have, have done and, and companies like Wrestlers Lab. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, anyone can go for this. If I love Final question, Jim. Yeah. And this is a very, I think, appropriate question. It's a lovely question. Um, and I think a great place to end. It's from Rich. Mm-hmm. Jim seems so lovely, so authentic and open, pretty unbelievable given the industry. I would love to know more about their resilience and sources of joy. It's just such a lovely question. Mm. I just felt it would be an affront not to ask it. Yeah, no, that is a lovely question. And, and again, thank, thank you for, for asking it. Um, see, I've been asked about how I, how I put up with a lot of stuff because it, it's not just looking at um, the horrors of an industry that people don't want to see, um, the making of the sausage, shall we say, um, and just how grimy it can be and how demoralizing it can be especially when what you've been arguing for for years has been ignored not just by companies but by fellow members of the media who just care about you know the latest big game um 
and and then dealing with things like fifteen million dollar lawsuits and and various attempts to like just recently someone tried to kill the YouTube channel by claiming videos on three separate days to uh, trigger YouTube's um, uh, three strikes policy, get the channel instantly killed, and now I'm talking with my lawyer to stop him from keeping trying to do it, which is now to the point of harassment, um, which is one of many instances of harassment I've had uh, within my career, and when people ask me how I deal with it, I say I do not bloody know. I do not bloody know how I've put up with it for this friggin' long. But if anyone deserves this belt, it's me. Um, I concur. And it's a great <laughs> for everyone listening to this. What a... It is very special. So... Um, but, but yeah, it's... I guess for me, it's... I do the job I do because especially knowing the struggles I I had that I didn't even know I had. I don't know if I could do anything else. Um, one of the reasons I keep at it so diligently is because as someone with ADHD and as someone who didn't know that they had that, having a weekly show that I've kept consistently weekly now for 10 years, mm-hmm. it's something to hold on to. It's a sense of structure. It's a sense of permanence. And that's difficult for someone with, with memory and focus issues is, is this anchor. Um, so there there's... There's an anchoring to the job that keeps me going. And as far as sources of joy that can offset it, um, I mean, obviously, with as much as I plug it and look for excuses to bring it up, the wrestling it was, um, it kept it kept my soul on life support before I finally figured out all that had been wrong with me. Um, it was a huge source of, of joy and, 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 and an ability to express myself. Um, I get joy from, you know, self-improvement and and having a sense of ambition and a drive. If I'm not climbing a ladder, if I'm not like hitting, finding some way around a a ceiling, then I'm not too thrilled. Um, Plus, I think just spite. I think just spite keeps me going at this point. Same. Of it just you know screw, screw everyone i'm gonna keep going and if i if i do fall i'm gonna drag like claw someone's eyes out on the way down you know um but yeah like joy is friends and and especially having moved up here where i'm closer to um my friend conrad where um our um art edit our art, art, blah, art director justin came up as well and a sense of a greater community here, a greater queer community. Um, and that as well, just because I will keep bringing it back to visibility, um, more so even than this belt, is the visibility factor, is being here and seen has already helped a lot of people. And that's more than I could have hoped for in my career. My My hope for life is to put more good out than bad overall um and just try and and do some good for people and having been able to do that that's a big reason to keep the engine on jim that was really really lovely and it's such an honor and that point about visibility is so important many of the people who i'll never stop banging that drum it's no. so important. A lot of people who follow me and subscribe or listen to the podcast are are young queer people, just queer people of any age. 
And seeing people like yourself out there, particularly as you've already mentioned in Britain, there is such an onslaught against trans people uh, at the moment, uh, against anyone who is uh, who isn't cisgendered. Um, to see people like yourself with a platform is is is, is a lifeline for lots of people. I, th- I don't think we should understate just how how significant it is at a very difficult time for people. And I hope lots of people, uh, you know, whether they're trans men, trans women, non-binary, uh, uh, on the on that, you know, who are who are gender non-conforming, I hope they get some sense of. Uh, not reassurance. I don't know what the right word is. Just, just having someone like you there and people like yourself. Affirmation. Like it's a, affirmation is a big affirmation. It's a big part of affirmation. That's it. Of you Absolutely. know, LGBTQ plus conversation, um, and yeah, like that. That was what I needed. So if I can provide what others need, then again, an honor and a privilege, and, and the best thing I could have done with my career, um, just to let people know that you are not invalid if we're here you're here and i think what's so important about that is you know it can be the loneliest feeling in the world to be an lgbtq person who hasn't come out and Mm -hmm. there's this unique terror it's particularly acute of course for trans people um but there was you know that's why this is so important i have to say the internet has its downsides as well because it also passes uh, a uh, you know, it's also an amplifier for some of the most bigoted and hateful people on, on earth. But at the same time, it, you know, it back in the nineties, when we were both growing up, it was, you know, you could watch occasionally, I don't know what there was Will and Grace or something. Uh, yeah. There wasn't very much, you know, you know, just seeing gay people, cisgender gay people was, 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 and they were often portrayed as one dimensional clowns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now we can, you know, the facts where with all the downsides of people like yourself, it does make a big difference and it will make a big difference for people who watched or listened to this. Yeah. I was about to go on another rant and I realized I looked at the time and was like, I've, I would, I'd just be retreading ground. Um, it was a pleasure to, to come on. Definitely. Thank yeah, you. Well, lots, lots of, and everyone, please do uh, follow Jim, subscribe. And uh, for those who are watching this on YouTube, please do like the video and subscribe or on the podcast. Do give us five stars and also subscribe. Thanks everyone for watching and lots of love to you, Jim. Thank you.